We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is Josh Bowe, not Kirk Henderson, coming to you live. If you're listening to us live, it's about 9, 10 central time. Um, it is Tuesday, June 20th. As of this moment, we are about 48 hours from the, you know, give or take 48 hours from the 2023 NBA draft. If you're not listening to this live, um, you're even a little bit closer. This will be going up on your podcast feeds Wednesday morning. So welcome. This is Pod Maverick. This is Josh Bowe from asmoneybell.com and Pod Maverick. As you'll notice, uh, if you're watching on the screen next to me, you'll see our staffer, Logan Thompson. Logan, thanks for joining me tonight. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, and you'll notice that Kirk Henderson, uh, in charge of everything, in charge of Pod Maverick, in charge of um, asmoneybell.com, he is not here tonight. Uh, he somehow scheduled a vacation uh this week he will not even be i think he's in like mexico or so like he's not even going to be in the country when the draft happens which is kind of it's just really funny especially if you know kirk because he doesn't miss anything and i have to beat him with a stick to get him to take time away from his computer and, and time away from the site and the podcast so it's very funny that like the most important mavericks draft and like uh since luke has been drafted um and then before that like, like a decade yeah. Yeah, like so, the second most in 12 years or something. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, so, but we're here and I didn't know this is kind of an off the cuff show. Logan uh, graciously uh, gave his time tonight, kind of spur of the moment. Uh, thank he had, he had an evening off from, from real life duties. So we really appreciate him joining. And I didn't really have necessarily like a rundown of what I wanted to talk about. It was more just, um, I just wanted to get a show in before the draft, just to kind of go over our final pre-draft thoughts. Uh, nothing too much has changed in terms of rumors or news since like, we've last talked, since you've last heard something on this feed from Kirk. But, you know, we still kind of want to go over, like, what everyone's kind of feeling, what our final thoughts are before the draft happens on Thursday. Uh, I think the, the first thing I wanted to lead off with is something, a theme that I've noticed, and I kind of tweeted about it earlier today, and Logan, I know, you know, I talked about it in our Slack. And it, it's just funny to me. Um, if you go to any major mock draft, um, for instance, let's go to the Athletics mock draft, which dropped earlier today. Athletic uh, Mavericks beat writer Tim Cato, that I'm sure many of you are all familiar with, did the Mavericks selection at 10. The first thing he writes uh, after his selection, he selected Jalen Hood uh, Shafino. Uh, the guard from Indiana. Hopefully I didn't butcher his last name. But the first thing he wrote in his blurb was, every mock draft is finding it difficult to predict Dallas's pick because it's probably not going to be Dallas picking. 
you go to the Ringer mock draft and uh, Kevin O'Connor and his blurb for the Mavericks, halfway through his blurb on Taylor Hendricks, who he mocks to the Mavericks at 10. But will the Mavericks keep this pick? Sources say they are trying to move down for multiple picks or players or out of the draft entirely. Um, NBA uh, insider and reporter Mark Stein, who you guys know is very close to the Mavericks. You know, he grew, he's based out of Dallas. He used to write for Dallas Morning News before going national. He was on uh, local Dallas-Fort Worth radio today, the Ben and Skin show. Y'all are familiar with Skin Wade, you know, Mavericks, uh, uh, Mavericks television announcer. <laughs> it's just so funny. Uh, Mavs Film Room, we appreciate them on Twitter aggregating this. He, they, they listen to the uh, radio interview. Stein says there have been rumblings from the Mavs this week to not count them out of actually selecting someone at 10. <laughs> he still thinks the Mavericks will make some kind of trade, stretches they won't make a move just to get off money. And you got you, I'm sure you can load up the CBS mock, the ESPN mock. They all say this, and it is just unbelievable how the consensus for, again, this is a top 10 pick. This isn't like 15 or 18 or 24 or 26. Uh, and this is a team that just finished 10th place in the Western Conference. Like, it's not that they missed the play. They, they didn't miss the eighth seed by a game. They weren't a 500 team. They were third. They, they had 38 wins. They were under 500. They finished 10th in the Western Conference. And by far, every single expert, plugged in media person, the consensus is they're not going to use their, their 10th pick. They're not going to draft the player. And that's just crazy. Like, Regardless of where you fall on, they should trade the pick. They should keep the pick. That's just so funny to me. Like it's just so overwhelmingly well. They're not even going to draft a player, uh, and it just it makes this a little crazy to talk about the draft because it kind of feels a little pointless. Uh, I don't know, Logan. How do you feel about it? Well, driving me nutty. I, after Stein said that there is a chance that they would draft someone, I was like, it would be very appropriate if we mit- played like armchair GM all week. And then they just took a guy. (laughs) It would, it would be funny, but I think trading back and getting a vet is pretty responsible. If the top nine is gone and you genuinely think that there's a teardrop because if they thought there was a teardrop because they actually believe in prospects later, they've done all their work and they care about this draft like they should, which who knows, maybe that wouldn't be the case, but I think you can say it's like playing the draft appropriately if they think we should trade back, we could get someone within our same tier, et cetera, et cetera. But then the idea that it's such a foregone conclusion is kind of what makes you feel a little icky because you're like, well, you might have someone fall back to you. Like y'all been saying in the Slack, it seems like it never goes completely chalk. So it's like I'd like to give them credit for perhaps figuring out where their tear drops off and – working from there because I think that's like a responsible way to use your pick, but just because they don't really ever prioritize the draft. I don't think it's as much that as it is a number 10 pick can't help us like a young person. We have to get better faster. You know what I mean? So it, it, it can be frustrating for sure that that's the case, but yeah. Um, yeah. It, and you know, I wrote a piece earlier, like my, I, if you've been following me on Twitter and you read my piece, my three favorite prospects that could fall in that 10 range are Taylor Hendricks, Anthony Black, and, and Jairus Walker. Um, I'm exceedingly losing hope that, that Jairus Walker is one of yeah. the three that, like, I think I might just need to whittle my, my big three into a big two with Anthony Black and, and Taylor Hendricks. Jairus is the one that makes me, uh, like, even with Hendricks and Black, I'm like, what could we get for the 10-pick, blah, blah, blah. But if it was Jairus Walker and they traded it, I would be like, that just – he's perfect fit. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, uh, those are the three that seem realistic that, or even somewhat realistic in Jairus Walker's case that, you know, I could probably get behind. I think the other ones would be kind of reaching and maybe if you could get back to 15, like the Hawks thing, I don't think it would be that disastrous of a decision. But, yeah. Right. And I think that's the big thing, and I think that's what drives everyone a little crazy, is that we don't know, you know, hypothetical trades already drive me crazy because there's so much that goes into trading that we just don't know. Like, there's relationships between front offices. You do not know what a GM values a player, that like you value a player uh, when you're trying to create these fake trades. Like, it's just, there's just so many factors that we just don't know about. 
it can be fun to talk about, but for me, it just drives me nuts because I'm yeah. just like, I want to know what's happening. I don't want to, I don't want to do on hypotheticals, but well, I think we're probably more in a land of hypotheticals than we even realize. Cause we've had just enough rumors to pe- for people to be like, maybe this is what could happen. Mm-hmm. And then the recurring thing is like tons of teams have talked to them and like, it all depends on who's available and the way the draft plays out could mean this other team has a deal kind of like talked out with the Mavs. That's just like the foundation. And then all of a sudden this guy's available at 10 and they're willing to give more. Like, it's kind of like so many dominoes that could fall. So I feel right. like even, even the the fake trades that we're looking at are like one out of 50 possibilities. So it's just. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because the Mavericks don't know the true value of 10 until they're on the clock. Um, because you don't know who's going to be there. It's not, it's way different than, you know, if you're picking, you know, near one, two or three, um, you know, Charlotte and Portland have been talking about trading those picks. Well, it's a lot easier because you can assume there's a lot more finality in terms of who's going to be there at 10. There could be any number of guys that are available um, that you just don't know that can make the pick either more valuable to certain teams beneath you or less valuable. So well, it's smokescreen season two. Like yes. that is a real thing. Last year, uh, it was up until draft night. Everybody thought Jabari Smith would be the first pick, and that was just yep. a complete, you know. So it's. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, guys go to work out. Make guys choose not to work out with teams. They might choose to do something different during their workout with a certain team over another. You're right. Like there, it is total smokescreen season, which almost makes me wonder. Like the way that the Mavericks have flooded. Um, the rumor market with this, like they're trading 10. I'm trying to figure out like, is there even like, what would be a benefit of the entire league believing that you're going to trade this 10th pick? Like how does that work out in your favor? Cause I don't know if that necessarily changes how the teams ahead of you are going to, tr- are going to pick. I don't know. I feel like that gives you worse leverage when you're talking to teams to trade. Like if teams think you're just desperate, dead set to trade this pick, feel like that's going to make it harder to get what you want from other teams. So I don't even like, I'm trying to figure out if there's something to that or if it's just the Mavericks being the Mavericks. And that's true. No, I don't like the draft. My thought was that if a lot of teams are trying to trade for it, then other teams are going to be like, no, we really need that guy. But you're right that it also makes it like, well, you guys have to trade out of it anyway. So you'll take this. <laughs> so I don't think it really works, you know, quite that way but the Derek Lively thing kind of seems like Mavsy like I think he could go lottery but the idea that like all these teams are specifically trying to get to 10 to get him for some reason that seems like I don't know why like like the Hawks have Capella and a Kongwu and I guess they'd be trading Capella to us but a lot of it's just kind of fuzzy and I'm like I don't know this doesn't all make sense but yeah, could you? I could see the Maver- I mean, the Mavericks are so desperate for front court help. It would not shock me if they kind of put the feelers out there that are like, "Hey, we're going to take Lively at ten if we stay," just to get these teams that are at 13, 14, 15, You know, the teams that more fit Lively's projected range, maybe to get them anxious to trade. Maybe they're trying to yeah the value yeah. at ten there. That would make sense to me because, like you said, Lively at ten just doesn't it considering what would be available there, you know, even if the top nine goes chalk, even then lively at 10 is, is a little bit of a stretch considering like some of the really, there's going to be still some really good guards left. There's probably going to be a couple of decent forwards. Um, Maybe not the ones you want, but like still, still really talented players. So that, that whole range, that's all, kind of like flawed guard creator types but Grady mm-hmm. Dick's there too like offensive centric players I feel like getting ahead of the pack to get the one you wanted that's kind of who I always saw as going to 10 it's like if they want Kobe Bufkin if they want I guess also Koulibaly so there's still people yeah that I can see Koulibaly isn't like the people I was describing but there's like a lot of different avenues I could see people wanting to trade up but lively it would have to be that the shooting and workouts has been insane but like Matthew said um, he wrote an article about Derek Lively, if anybody hasn't read it. Um, it just seems like a stretch to work to to be that sure off of workouts because people always blah, 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 shoot really well in workouts. And, like, he didn't have great touch from the free throw line. And there's certain reasons that I don't think you can gamble that much on that. But for Derek Lively to go 10, I feel like that has to be because the workouts is shooting. 
And what's so funny about like Lively to the Mavericks at 10 is the only intel we're getting from, from media people is that they want to trade 10 because they want a, a win-now veteran. They want more con- win-now contributors. Like, they don't have time to wait for a 10th pick to develop. Lively, like, is probably going to take the most time to develop of most of the guys that are projected in that, like, 7 to 15 range. So it's like, how can you go from, we want to trade this pick for some guy that's going to help us right now, to, oh, well, if we keep it, we're going to take one of the... <laughs> like one of the guys is probably going to take one of the longest to come along and play big rotation minutes uh, for a playoff team. Like that part, that that's where a lot of it doesn't make sense to me. Like it's either one or the other. Do you want to win now veteran or do you want to take someone with high upside that you can, you can develop a little bit. And that's where like the smoke screen kind of aspect of it comes in. Right. Yeah. It would be hard for me to believe if Hendricks or black fell that they wouldn't take them, but yeah. I'm starting to, yeah, Hendricks is just, he fits everything they need in terms of like plug and play uh, to play off Kyrie and play off Luca. And then, man, Black is the guy I've just, I think I've, he was kind of like outskirts for me in terms of how much I liked him. Uh, a lot of it was just like, okay, Kirk, like you like this guy because he went to your high school, like settled, settled down. <laughs> and then, you know, you talked on Kirk's pod. I've listened to a lot of other people talk about him. And then I just watched his game more. And the way that he could be like that long, like the thing I keep coming back to is he feels like, you know, he could be Lonzo Ball to the Luca and Kyrie, like how Lonzo was the connective piece between uh, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. Like, I feel like Black could be that for Kyrie and Luca. And I've seen a lot of people wonder, like, well, you can't take Black, like, he's a point guard. They've already got Kyrie and they've already got. Uh, Luca, and I think the big thing with Black is it's like the way for him to get on the floor more and, and contribute is to not be a lead guard, is to be someone that right. can play off ball, that can attack closeouts, that can make the extra pass after Luca and Kyrie have already kind of initiated the action. Much like what Lonzo Ball did uh, when he was in Chicago. Like Lonzo Ball in Chicago, like that team was 27 and 11 in the 35 games they played with Lonzo before he got hurt. I think they were first in the Eastern Conference. And Lonzo wasn't running a punch of pick and roll, like high pick and rolls, like every single possession. Like he was letting Levine and, Ro- and, and DeMar DeRozan do the work as lead ball handlers. And then he would kind of fill in the gaps where they needed it offensively, whether it was keeping the ball moving, uh, attacking, close out, making a cut. And then defensively, like you don't really, you know, Black is kind of it's self-explanatory with Black if you just watch him for a little bit in terms of what he could bring on defense. So, Black is a guy that I've really, I've really fallen in love with. Although, like I said, Hendricks, Walker, does Whitmore fall? I don't know. You know, any of the, you know, any of the guys that are in the consensus top nine, like I will, I will do cartwheels if one of them, yeah, uh, lands a ten. Well, the thing with about that, about the kind of theoretical fit, is I feel like Mavs fans kind of like because of the way the front office has built and the way it's always talked about the way you have to build kind of like can't imagine something different than the kind of like stringent way we've built, but quick decision-making and really intelligent players who are also good on defense, you will start to see that even though your spacing is a little bit iffier, you can start to see the dividends get paid. You can start to see how the offense can change if everyone on the court can dribble and pass. And I think, we haven't seen that, so we don't even know how to process. Like Luca, it may be kind of an adjustment for Luca, whatever. But, but in maybe in Anthony Black's piece, or at some point, I wrote about how Sam Presti talked about building the team he has now. How they're all extremely quick decision makers, and they really don't have that much spacing. And obviously, Oklahoma City is not, you know, some kind of thing to achieve. But just the fact they keep drafting these guys and it's starting to work, and it's mostly about ball handling, and everyone on the court is extremely intelligent. I think Luca, Kyrie, and a guy like Black, if you have one other shooter, I can start to see how that becomes just a really like intelligent, um, forceful. I mean, you'd have Black and Luca able to drive and pressure the paint. Like you can kind of start to see how that would work, even if the spacing would be a little problematic. I think it would kind of be a different sort of thing than we've seen since Luca's come into the league. But I, I don't really get dissuaded as much of that as I do people who think Black will be like a star because I do kind of think he's going to end up being this kind of like connective Derek white, but bigger kind of wing. I feel like that's an awesome outcome though. 
but that's more my idea is that I don't necessarily think he's going to um, has all this tons of star upside as much as I think like his shot. I don't know. I think his shooting will come along. Those are just things you have to work through. But if you give that much other stuff, I think you can defend uh, like choosing him or playing him or building that way. Right. And I think two things I want to jump off of from what you were talking about. The way you're talking about, like, we just don't see players like this in Dallas, so it's it's just a lot to take in, and it would be different for Luca. I think I wrote about this in my piece earlier this week. You touched on it. You wrote a really nice piece last week. Uh, guys, if listening to this, go check the site um, uh, that Logan wrote. Uh, I don't have it off the top of my head, but you wrote a site, the, a piece kind of centered not necessarily all about black, but just in terms of that archetype of player and why taking a player like that when you already have Luca and Carey makes sense. And it's because the NBA is just consistently shifting and changing. And I feel like, you know, we, we had those mid 2000 rock fights where, you know, those deep, those Detroit, Indiana playoff games that were like 75 to 72 final scores. Remember Mavericks with Dirk living in the mid range. And those games would be rock fights too, even though it was a little bit more higher scoring. Then you started to slowly transition into that pace and space era that kind of started with the Mavericks 2011 title. I think they, Kind of ushed, they were the first like three point shooting NBA champion um, compared to the teams before, you know, the decade before them. Then you get in through the Warriors, and now we're kind of evolving. You know, when the Warriors and the Mavericks won the title, you know, 2011 to like 2015, and three point shooting becomes more important, there was still like the defensive specialist that was starting to get phased out. Like, I remember Chicago. Like in 2011, the Derrick Rose MVP year when they were the number one seed, they still started like Keith Bogan as their two guard. And it was right. like these teams would just start these like two or threes that had no offense, um, but would play, but were like good defenders. The Mavericks, hell, with Deshaun Stevenson, even though he I was about to threes. say we had Adrian Griffin senior. Yeah. There was like a long run of our two guard being. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the rest of the league was doing that. And then in the 2015 playoffs, the Warriors played the Grizzlies, who had Tony Allen. It was like the apex of that archetype of player, like all defense player with zero, zero offense. And the Warriors just played five on four, basically. And it was in the second round series. I think they were down in the series. It was the first first time they were down in a playoff series uh, in that playoff run. And they just didn't, whoever guarded Tony Allen just played free safety and they ignored him. And I noticed from that playoff series going forward, there was a big rise in, like, you need 3 and D wings, 3 and D wings, 3 and D wings. You've heard that term ad nauseum if you've read any NBA content, listen to any NBA podcast. 3 and D wings was, like, the most premium role player type position after your star, you know, offensive generator uh, type archetype. And now we're starting to slowly transition from, you know, teams build all these guys. You know, they have, like, Luka, the Mavericks with Luka, for example, the Rockets with uh, when they had James Harden. You have these teams that put all their, you know, have this one lead offensive generator and they surround them with three and D guys because that seemed like it was the key because it was like, oh, hey, we can't, this guy's got to be able to shoot because defenses are just going to ignore him. I feel like defenses are getting smarter now and it, you need to be more than just a standstill spot up shooter now. Like we've seen that firsthand with the Mavericks who loaded up their roster around Luka with guys like Dorian Finney Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleba, Reggie Bullock, uh, even before, you know, Seth Curry. These guys that mostly were known for just standstill spot up three point shooting, and that can work a little bit. But defenses are just smarter, man. They run, yeah. they're running guys off the line better, and they're basically trying to take away what you do best. And you're seeing guys like Dorian, and you're seeing guys like Reggie Bullock, and even Tim. He had a really bad season inside the three point line this past season, despite his good three point shooting. You just can't survive if you've only got one or two guys that can drive the ball and dribble and attack. It doesn't matter if they're hitting thirty nine percent of their threes or not. So that's where I see Black as like, okay, he's maybe not going to be an elite shooter, but he's also not going to be someone that you can just, hopefully, if he, if he develops the way you think he will, you're not going to be able to just take away one thing from his game and he's going to fall apart. Like He's just such a smart, intelligent player with a lot of skill in a variety of areas. He's not just someone who can run a pick and roll. He's not someone just who can cut. He's not just someone that can thread the needle with a, with a pass, a swing pass, or whatever you need. So I'm seeing like teams need more guys like that. And I'm seeing that in the playoffs. Well, Denver, Denver and Miami, both mm-hmm. their offenses really flow. And you think about golden state and it's not just getting open threes. It's also like layups like Denver really won in the paint, even without you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Jokic wouldn't be doing it, but they got so many layups, just like golden state. They stretch you out so much that 
but it's also because their passing is really good. And I feel like the, the archetype or the system is Luca pressure the rim and then it gets open threes. But I feel like you kind of need the whole team to pressure the rim and that to create open threes. Otherwise it's just too easy to stop and load up on in the playoffs. Right. And, and it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I just think, I mean, it would take more than one player to change that, but right. I do think that there's, there's a, I mean, even with Taylor Hendricks, he's not going to be doing a lot of attacking closeouts and making connective passes. I think he'd be an awesome fit. I would be very happy if they got him. But even in that case, I would want like Josh Green to maybe get better so he can do some more of that connective passing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're just, you know, it just like we're seeing it. We just, it just can't be Luca doing everything. And and sometimes people misconstrue that and they're like, well, how many teams have like five point guards on the floor? And it's like, no, we just there's a difference between yeah. being a playmaker and being someone that can dribble and attack a closeout. You don't need to be a playmaker to be able to catch a swing pass uh, on the on the weak side corner or wing and just be able to take one or two hard dribbles toward the paint and make a play. Like that's not necessarily being like creating offense for other people just being able to make that's like a simple basketball play right um i mean well, that's simple but you know what i mean it's not there's a difference between being like a point guard offensive creator and someone that can just attack open space uh when it's presented to them i think that's actually part of what makes hendrix so interesting even though he doesn't have that skill set mm-hmm. is that if he eventually is a small ball five you have the leeway to have a guy on your team that can be an iffy spacer that can be amazing at everything else. Like if you had Draymond Green and Taylor Hendricks, that would be your closing front court, and that would be incredible. So you don't have to worry about the fact that you have this one guy that's that just kind of messes up Luca's thing. He, and so I think that's what makes Hendricks interesting is that eventually I think he can close games at the five, kind of like how Maxi did. And then from there, you don't have to worry as much about the fact that you would have a center and an Anthony black in your lineup. And I think that's kind of the hidden value of Taylor Hendricks is that like, it's not just what he does. It's what it allows you to do like schematically. It's almost like an invisible like uh, power that he has that he allows on both ends of the court for you to do different things with your lineup. And so it's so valuable. Yeah, it's interesting that he wouldn't actively help the connective passing and help the creation around Luca, but the fact that you could play like a Josh Hart or a Bruce, like just name guys like that, that it's like they're not knockout shooters, but they do so many other things. Um, so I do think that's some a reason that he is very interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he's my favorite of the – well, not maybe. I think Jairus Walker might be rising up there, but – Walker's just kind of like, I'm trying to get him out of my brain. Like, yeah. He's just going to be there. But Hendricks is always like, since the Maverick, I knew the Mavericks were going to have 10. Because that was like the early mock, like the very early mocks. Like when the regular season ended, Hendricks was always around that 10 to 12 area. So I've always kind of fallen in love with him. So this is a good stopping point. Um, if you're listening live, we're just going to take a quick, quick little pause. If you're uh, listening on the recorded podcast, we're going to take a break uh, to get some ads in you're listening on the recording uh please 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 uh i beg of you listen to the ads i know it stinks but uh with our new format um that is how we get paid for this <laughs> if you listen to the ads we get paid uh, that's how it works if you skip them uh it's like you're not even um it's like you're like you're not even you don't even count uh so apologies but we're gonna take a little break if you're on the recording uh just listen to some ads we'll catch you on the other side and then logan after this break i think we should talk about I want to talk to or just ask you questions and talk about your favorite guys. If for some reason uh, the top nine goes chalk and we'll talk about that in the other side of the break. Okay. We are back. Uh, We had some pretty good discussion in the first half of the pod. I think talking about the top nine, kind of our feelings on where the Mavericks are going um, with the other, if they're going to trade it or not how we kind of feel about that. Talked about some, you know, Black and Hendricks, who I think are, you know, two of at least me personally, two of my favorite guys. I know Logan likes them a lot. Now I want to talk more about what's going to happen if that top nine goes the way consensus thinks about it. And this is the part where, Logan, I need to rely on you a lot more because this is where I am just, I'm iffy. I just don't know enough about these guys. I don't watch enough college basketball during the season. I don't watch enough tape after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Season. And I feel like, you know, this is probably going to be the likely range the Mavericks pick, these range of guys 10 and below, you know, 10 and below that's outside of this top nine because either the top nine is going to go chalk, which I don't think it will, but if it does, or they're going to trade, you know, they're going to trade the pick and trade down. So in this 10 to 15 range, you know, have your thoughts changed from since the last time you talked to Kirk? Like, who is your favorite player outside of that top nine? It's really hard because not all of them – I think would be super helpful to the maps. Like I'm pretty sure Kobe Bufkin is going to be good. And he plays really well off ball, but like, I really want us to get a front court player and you're not always supposed to draft for need, but I do believe that like fit can be a tiebreaker. Cause I just think there's a practicality to it, especially a practicality to how that player develops. Cause they get like time and they can kind of explore what they are. Dick and Bufkin and certain players um, not as interesting, but I do like Buffkin a lot. I know you've heard or read or stuff about Leonard Miller from me talking about him. It seems extremely unrealistic that we would take Leonard Miller, but he actually is someone that I like like that high. It's like him and and Buffkin. And I mean, I like Kaysen Wallace a lot. And I think it's kind of impossible for him not to help the Mavs in the minutes he plays, but he, it just, there's only so many minutes you know what I mean? So it just makes Case and Wallace sort of like I would probably have him as like eleventh or twelfth or thirteenth, but but that's so that's what's problematic about that range. I almost wonder if the best argument you'd have is to take Kulabali because of his upside at a position that we really need that everyone in the NBA needs. Like as a value proposition, I feel like he is a a good thing to have. I mean, you could he probably have trade value before we even started playing NBA minutes because he's <laughs> such a mystery as it is now. You know what I mean? It would be like Kulabali be like a Rod, Rodriguez Dubois or whatever. Um, and yeah, Kulabali, yeah. I just want to say, like, he, it is so funny me. What, like, I heard about him and I was like, okay, I don't know anything about him. Like, someone talked to me, like, hey, go watch some highlights. I watched the highlights and I know every one of these guys' YouTube highlights are amazing. But his, I was like, wait, what? Like, why <laughs> is this guy, how is he not part of this top nine conversation? Like, what is going on? This guy looks incredible. Like, yeah. he's huge. He's long. Like, he's perfect. Like, what is going on? And then I look and I'm like, I step away from the YouTube highlights. And I'm like, okay, what was his raw production? It's like, oh, he averaged, like, he played like 15 minutes a game. And he averages like, you know, eight points a game. I'm like, oh, okay. So he's just, he's just not playing a lot. I yeah. I, so he's Like you said, he's a mystery box. The, something I saw about him was I can't remember how exactly it was put, but like if he was to go top 10, it would be the lowest amount of like offensive volume someone had had since like Isaac Okoro was like the only other person. And then you saw how that, we've seen how that turned out, right? It's like guys who went in the top 10 with this low of like offensive uh, volume. So I do think he would take a while. And I mean, you know, that's something that we're talking about with the Mavs not wanting to do is take a while. So I guess that's actually why I've been open to trading down as long as we still get a young player and we, I, you know, it seems like they care about who that young player is and they've scouted him appropriately and, you know, yada, yada, because I don't think there's a perfect prospect that 10 of the top nine is gone. And I do think it kind of flattens out. I think 10 to 15 is kind of a tier and then 16 can go all the way back to like 30. And those are like rough numbers, but but um, 
I wish I had a better answer because I think the Mavericks have particular fit issues and, and, um, but Bufkin, Koulibaly, I think are two of the best around there. I love Leonard Miller. Um, I, if they traded back, I would love for them to get him, but I don't think he's going to, he might not even go top 20. So that's a different, different set of conditions. The Grady Dick one. Kind I was going to ask about him next. I'm, I, I, I don't know how to feel about him. The same way people are with centers. I kind of am about one dimensional shooters. And I realize that's that not everyone feels that way. Like a lot of people wouldn't say that, but just a personal team building philosophy. I think that it is sort of that, like a running back in the NFL kind of uh, concept. Unless, I mean, if a guy's going to be Clay Thompson, he's going to be Clay Thompson, but those things are outliers. And um, I don't know. I just wouldn't want, besides the defensive issues we have and how we want to help those issues. Um, I just would feel that way about taking Dick at 10. Uh, But like I said, even though you're not supposed to draft for fit, I think the fact that you were about to sign Kyrie for four or five years, 200 million or whatever, and you have Luca, I would want to draft someone I felt like was going to be part of my best five at some point. So like I said, if it's a tiebreaker, I kind of want to avoid someone who would mostly give us offense. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, if you absolutely think by far best player available, I guess I could see it, but it kind of just like stresses me out the idea that we have this kind of lotto ticket. It's going to be like, well, here's a guy that if he, if he does pan out, our defense won't be good enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the crazy thing about this pick and the pressure behind it is because even if the Mavericks don't have a successful off season, this last season was such an, an outlier in terms of what happens when teams have players as good as Luca, as young as Luca is the Mavericks could have a, a bad off season and go roll in the next season. And Luca is so good. He could, you know, and they played so many clutch games last season. Like they could be an eighth or ninth seed uh, play in, then get into the first round. And then you're, you know, you're not seeing another pick like this for the rest of Luca's remainder of his contract. You know, even if they make, you know, some boneheaded moves, like it's just, it's really hard to get a top 10 pick when you have someone on your roster as good as Luca. So it really feels like they have to make it count. And with Dick, yeah, I just I just don't know enough. But, like, you know, I, I watch highlights, and I'm like, is he just, like, a spot-up guy? Like, does he have more to his game, like, in terms of offensive capability? You know, is he – does he project to be as bad at defense as, as we think? Or is it more just he's not going to be a plus guy there? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be, like, a massive negative. Like, he is, unfortunately, sneaky athletic. It has to be said about Grady Days. But, I mean, he's smart. He's sneaky athletic. He He's 6'8". I mean, he's not – I mean, but he's very skinny. And it's just hard to imagine being, like, a real big positive. But I don't think he's going to be a complete negative. Um, but just that kind of Clay Thompson – even, like, Kevin Herter is somebody I see him compared to a lot. But Kevin Herter is a lot more athletic than Dick. He's a lot better at taking it to the rim. I just don't think Grady Dick will take it from the perimeter all the way to the rim. He's going to attack some closeouts and make a quick pass. But I really think to get to that like 20-point score upside, Clay Thompson's an outlier of guys who don't dribble a bunch and pressure the rim right. to put up those kind of stats. Or you're not you know, 6'8 or above, which Dick is 6'8, but I guess like a plus athlete is the term I should use. But so I don't know. I guess I guess that – doesn't seem worth it to me um, unless you think they have that upside. Right. I want, and this kind of came up in our Slack. I want to ask you this one. Okay. Would you, would you rather have Derek Lively or Noah Clownley out of Alabama? They're extremely close to me. I have them both in the back end of the teens. And I think I would still want Derek Lively because Clowney I mean, he'll take even longer than Lively, I think. And I think there's still some stuff with him that needs – he's pr- he's like really raw. Like I don't even think he's actually that good of a defender yet. Lively's actually like a really impactful defender who has some – you know, how mobile is he and some different question marks. But like he is a good rim protector. Clowney is mobile enough and long enough and has crazy recovery speed, but he – makes mistakes and you see him be out of position and all of those kinds of things. So I feel like there's a lot of projection with Clowney, but I also think a really smart team could take him because they might have a better idea of exactly, you know, what he needs ironed out. Like he's right there at that Miami golden state, like 
there's kind of a couple of teams that I think are good at developing that also I could see putting him next to Bam or next to Draymond to where it like makes a lot of sense. And so if we did trade back, I would, I mean, Clowney's interesting. It's just that, that how long will they develop to be able to help thing is such a, such a big question, but I do actually think lively, lively, at least, even though I think he will take a lot of time to iron out the kinks of him fouling and him rolling to the rim. I do think he will help protect the rim, you know, pretty quickly. It's like how valuable are you think that is? You know what I mean? Yeah, and if I'm reading this right, Clowney's still 18. Yeah, he's I mean, see, that's part of the thing where he's that raw though, is he's like a baby. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So that okay, well that makes that makes more sense than uh man, eight eighteen. Like so he's gonna be eighteen when he's drafted. So like I can yeah. imagine that has teams like, oh, well, we can make him into whatever. Like he's he has like an extra twelve months on a lot of these guys that are being drafted. And it didn't um, see, it didn't seem like he would be top twenty, and then he got invited to that green room thing, and he got invited before they raised it to twenty five. So I was like, oh, he could go in the teens, but um, I think the fact that he can shoot and protect the rim, or that's what he theoretically can do. So sort of that Taylor Hendricks model, like the Mavs, it seems like someone they could be interested in because you would have to think with the way the Mavs prize three point shooting that they would like someone who profiles to have a shooting development, even if they are big guys. Um, then again, they signed Javel McGee. So I don't, I don't know what, what, you know, Jason Kidd, how much he's changed the parameters of that, but. Yeah. Um, something else I'm thinking about, um, cause I feel like we've kind of covered at least the guys outside of the top nine. Um, that makes sense. I'm looking at some other names, you know, I know Casey Walsh is very popular. Um, I know uh, Keontae George is, is a popular name for that range. But again, the thing you've said, you're like, all these guys, they're not wings, like they're guards. And it's not that they wouldn't help. It's just like, it is kind of crazy how after that top nine, the, the wings, it just, it, it's a noticeable drop to the next tier of, of like six, six and six yeah. guys. But um, trading back, if they traded back to 21 and 22, like hypothetically, mm-hmm. and like, I know there's also like the idea that you get Dorian Finney-Smith. I would just like scratch the value aspect of it. Imagine they get, you know, or 26 and 29 from Indiana. Just imagine they get a certain good player. There's a lot of wings in that range. They're just all flawed, flawed offensively. They don't have the like creation upside to go top 15, top 20. But I think that's part of why I'm a little bit okay with trading down. You could get one of those wings who have upside at being really good defenders and you could also take a 22 or 23 year old that you think can help your depth now. So not really advocating for that as much as I think if that top nine is gone, it's not that crazy, but I know it kind of hurts. Cause you're like, man, Tyrese Halliburton got taken at 11th or 12th. Like Jalen Williams last year got t- taken at 12th. And th- like someone could be right about that. If someone was like, no, take Kobe Bufkin at 10. He's that good. I'm just not sure if I particularly believe that, even though I think the top nine itself is super strong. And because I don't think they'll take Leonard Miller. So. <laughs> um, I got a couple more names now that you've kind of, because I'm kind of going through this uh, some lists here. And you're right. Once you get, it's like top nine, a lot of wings, then like 10 to 20, a lot of guards. And then like 20 to 35, it's like all wings again. Yeah. Um, what do you think about if the, you know, this is Mavs trade down scenario. I'm trying to like cope with because I feel like you know that's going to happen because that's what we're hearing. <laughs> what about Derek Whitehead? What do you, I, what do you feel I, about him? Because there are some, but there are some people that I trust, very smart draft people that I trust that have them him in their personal big boards, like in that ten to twelve range. Yeah, I was about to say that when you know the Hawks rumor of getting fifteen, I feel like there's a lot of people who would be like Whitehead, someone you could take at fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, he's a really good catch-and-shoot guy, like really, really good. But the high school tape is so much different than the college tape because he got injured before the college year. And he is so much more fluid and able to attack in the high school tape and better at defense kind of by extension because his fluidity and and movement is so much better that I think – I mean, I'd be really curious to see what he does in workouts, but teams will have that advantage. But, like, he was much, much different. He kind of just looked like a guy who looked to fit the part, who was really good at catch and shoots in college, but 
kind of inefficient if he tried to drive in. But in high school, he was – I mean, he was supposed to be a top five, top ten pick going into the year. So, I mean, I do kind of like him just because I think there is some, like, upside, and I think he would fit well because of the catch and shoot. And he's kind of built to guard, uh, you know, to play the three sometimes. I mean, he's not the biggest three. I think that maybe that's something about him is that, you know, he's not – I guess – I don't know. I guess he's about small forward size. But, um. But, yeah, I wouldn't mind that, especially if they got back to 2021-22. I thought you were going to ask about Omax Prosper. I feel like he's one people are talking about a lot. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing a lot. I've seen his name a lot. I don't know much. Can you give me the elevator pitch on him? Let me. Letting my dog out. Sorry. (laughs) It's all good. Um, So, I he is sort of – he's 6'8". He's really long. His shooting's a little bit iffy. But he has that, like, true wing size. Um. He the thing about him that I was kind of scared off by is that his block numbers were like outrageously low, like five blocks a year for a six eight guy who's long, and that's usually oh, yeah, a seven one wingspan. Yeah, that's usually a terrible sign for those kind of people. Like they always talk about the defensive event creation being this like kind of really really telling stat, but he chased shooters around screens, in like a lot, a lot, a lot, and he guarded guards a lot. And the fact the six eight guy, they were like sick him on guards. They did it over and over. Jordan Hawkins, he he covered Jordan Hawkins and gave him trouble. Who was like the best movement shooter in the draft, and it's not close as far as like running around screens and stuff. And so I was a little scared of the fact that he didn't block shots a lot, but that does kind of explain it. His shot is coming along. I don't think he's like that great of a shooter, but that does seem like the kind of guy the Mavs could really use as a really switchable six eight guy. Um, and just that long wingspan, I mean, he really bothers people when he gets switched on to him. And so he's definitely someone I wouldn't mind if it took him in the 20s. Um, I think it seems like we have pretty good success with, like, helping guys develop as shooters, especially when you take a lot of open ones from Luka and you shoot a lot of corner threes as well. So he would make sense to me. Like, if they got him in Whitehead, I, it would be hard for me to be like, this is so much worse than taking Grady Dick. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> just because of what they they just because of what their archetypes point to, you know what I mean, or what they would particularly possibly offer. Right. Okay. Well, that helps me a lot personally, and yeah, I think you're making me feel better about the trade down because I did not realize how many wings there were in that twenty to thirty range. So if they do somehow manage to, the thing that I'm worried about is I can like if they can get to you know like Brooklyn has those two picks. If they can turn 10 into two low first, I think I feel a lot better about having two swings at the apple there than like if they trade down and they only get one pick in the low 20s because I don't know, there's something about it that just makes me nervous about only having – if they're yeah. only going to have one pick in this draft. And I mean, I think going generally – from 10 to 20 just in the 20s, it just, just feels like a really big gamble unless they're I, really getting a good veteran. I think trading down is often like not smart too. Um like, if you trade down from two to five, it just seems like that always messes up. Actually, I thought I was about to say something really analytical, but, like, anytime teams, like, think they're smarter and, you know, just, like, take this guy that – like, if if Charlotte trades down because they don't want to have to make the choice of drafting Scoot. Like, it's like that kind of thing always ends up being stupid, but a lot of times teams know what they're doing. Um, I guess I should give the Mavericks the benefit of the doubt all the time. But, um, but yeah, there is a lot of guys back there. Uh, Noah Clowney could still be back there. That could be somewhere that you could actually take Leonard Miller. You could take mm-hmm. him, uh, like uh, Jamie Yaquez, Jamie Yaquez, because it's uh, just because he's 23 and you think he can help now. I kind of think he might be like too slow, but apparently all the workouts he's like destroying um, and he's shooting really well, which he took a lot of like tough shots in college. So everybody's kind of saying he seems like a Memphis Grizzly, which totally makes sense that they would get like the 23 year old, just all American who actually is, so smart he figures it out that everybody else is like i don't know about that but they get tall desmond bane yeah exactly um that makes sense okay this is the last thing i want to end on um we've talked about the top nine a bunch and usually when we talk about the top nine and we talk about someone falling it's it's jairus walker it's taylor Hendricks, it's uh anthony black i i feel like the top four feels you know victor brandon miller Scoot, and I feel like um, Amin Thompson is a lock for like at least four or five. Seems like the Rockets are. Yeah, and what I've read about Amin Thompson, like, I mean, there are people that are like, he's like elite athlete doesn't begin to describe him. Yeah. Like he is 
he's the athlete like outside of like LeBron in terms of like draft prospects like his measurables yeah. are are off the chart his brother is Sir Thompson I've seen some ranges where he, he can go as high as five and I have seen some people think that he could you know maybe not in mocks but in personal big boards see him in that 10 ring like yeah and or 11 him and Whitmore both yeah if what give me your thoughts on if the Mavericks gets 10 and it's not Hendricks, it's not Black, it's not Walker that it's available, but it's one, you know, it's Whitmore or Sir Thompson who are just got, we're just, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I feel like there's like, there's a possibility. Yeah, like, like a 5 like, to 10% chance or right. something. Yeah, and I feel like we just don't talk about that with the Mavericks at all because the, the conversation has been so dominated by those three guys, which, hey, I really like them and I'm sure I am swaying that conversation a little bit. I'm a big voice in Mavericks media. Um, so let like, what do you think if, if somehow they get to 10 and one of those two guys, Asur or Whitmore, are there? Like, is that just take the money and run and don't yeah. tell everybody? I mean, I think even with, even with the question marks, I think it is. Um, oh, the way a lot of people feel about Anthony Black, which I still like Anthony Black well enough to take him at 10, but the way people who might have him at five, six, or seven, I feel I've kind of soured on Asur Thompson a little bit. Compared to where, like, for for a little while, I was one of the people who are like, he's not very far from his brother, but I do see them kind of a different class, and I might have Asar like, seven or eight. But the way people see Anthony Black is this, like, extremely connective passer because of his court sense and also an elite defender. I, I think Asar will end up being that. I mean, the shot's still iffy, but I just – I don't think he has necessarily anywhere close to the star potential his brother has because his brother is – like you said, a truly, truly like 1% athlete. But Asar, I just love those Iguodala types who are like so <laughs> smart, but also guard the best guy in the court. I mean, that's kind of what Black is like too. And that's why I was kind of so into Black. It's just like, I know they don't necessarily fit with Luca, but but it's also at the same time exactly what a team with Luca needs because you need to be have the ball moving and you need someone to guard to be like a true defensive player of the year type candidate. Um, Asar's problem is probably that I think his offensive floor is maybe a little bit lower than even I would want to admit because his shooting is a little iffy, but he's, he's a better shooter than I'm in, but it's still kind of questionable. And he doesn't quite have the mid range game you'd want to see from someone who doesn't have the long range shot, but black doesn't really either. I guess really, honestly, my, my pitch, if I was like, keep Asar is that I think it's a lot of the same reasons we've talked about how we could sell ourselves on Anthony black but in a, a higher ceiling package, I think just like a better athlete and, but Whitmore, it's not even a question. I would, I would just be so angry if they could get Whitmore. I mean, I guess the reason, because there's been talk about him falling. Yeah. And the only Apparently, thing I, I've got, I've got up Kevin O'Connor just before you get into it. I just yeah, go ahead. I've, got, I've got up Kevin O'Connor's latest mock draft. He's got him at nine, which again, like he had been mocked so long, like between five and like five and seven, so to see him at nine at a, at a major source, I don't know what, what that means, but in his little blurb, he says sources have been telling him that the potential there's a potential fall for him because he's been having poor workouts. And what O'Connor is trying to figure out is, is it actual poor workouts or is he, is it smoke screens or is he trying to like finagle himself into the right situation, like to the right team? Um, so oh, that's, before- that- didn't before think of that. We, yeah, before we get, you know, we'll go into it. Like people might be like, well, like Whitmore's not going to be there. Like I'm just saying, that's what some of the reporting saying. Who knows if it's bullshit or not? But I just kind of want to entertain the possibility because why not? Yeah. It's fun. Like let's, it's fun. Well, so his weakness is, and I think why he could potentially be falling. He he definitely would not have a bad workout where his shirt's off and he's dunking. Like he is an insanely <laughs> powerful athlete. He's kind of like a Miles Bridges, Jalen Brown, like power wing athlete, where it's like. Even though he's only six seven, you feel like he's six nine. He's really broad shouldered and like goes up strong. And he also can get past guys. He's so sudden. Like the marriage of suddenness and power is insanely rare. And I kind of love guys like that. I kind of love, you know, that kind of driver and guy who's already filled out. But he had a negative assist to turnover ratio and he just had a really bad sense of the court. Um and I was thinking if he was having bad workouts, it could be because they do three on threes and five on fives and they, they might be trying to teach you a certain action or idea and asking you to kind of repeat it or build upon it. 
And I wonder if that's why he's struggling, which I kind of hate to do that. There's just something kind of like NFL drafty about like, this was this guy's Wonderlick test that I don't really like about like the idea of people's intellectual capacities to learn stuff. But I do know that the problems that he had with processing the game. And I wonder if that's starting to just scare teams too much. The way I put it is like when you play pickup basketball and there's that guy, you know what I mean? Who just maybe the most talented person, but he kind of just tears your team apart. And it's like, I wonder if teams feel like he could be that, but as a Maverick, if you, if you're next to Luca and Kyrie, I mean, I don't ever going to have to be thinking about that much. Pretty sure they're going to get a lot of dunks and a lot of space and a lot. It's kind of like Benedict Mathurin was kind of similar to this and he was pretty poor on defense and had a lot of flaws, but like, the shoot threes and go in there and dunk aspect, Whitmore, I think, would be able to do pretty quickly. And with all that athleticism, he's a really good, like, defensive playmaker, too, or just kind of, I guess he projects to be. I mean, it just it's hard to imagine he wouldn't be somewhat good on defense unless he didn't care at all because he has that kind of athleticism. Right. Something I'm curious about um, with him like you talk like everything that I hear about him, he's such a monster, powerful athlete. And then you kind of look at his college numbers and it's like, Hmm. And it's like, is there question? Like, again, this is sounding so NFL drafty. I hate it. Too. Yeah, now that I, brought it up. I know now it's stuck in my head, but are there motor issues with him? See, that's the thing is it doesn't seem like there are. And that's another reason why I haven't minded as much. These kind of like, I mean, he only had like literally 30 assists on the season. Like that stuff starts to make people have an idea of and that number could be way off, but I know it was a really shockingly low number. And that can start to give people the idea that this guy may have a low motor. I feel like people might equate like having a low feel for the game for also having a low motor. Those things are usually pretty connected where it's like you work really hard and you also have a really good intuitive sense of basketball, but he has a high motor. Like he plays really hard just and, and physical and especially in the the international games that he took part in, like the under-19 games, he was better about all of that stuff in those games. Like, he was a better passer. He seemed like he made more sense in a team context. And I wonder how much of it was he came into college injured. Villanova kind of had a certain, like, sixth-man role for him. Maybe he couldn't learn the system. Like, there's all these kind of questions with the small sample size of a college year. So I wonder how much of that has to do with it. But I don't think that's the thing about the workouts where I don't necessarily think it's NFL drafty is that you don't think that he is like that. You don't think it's like a character concern. It might just be more of a processing the game concern. And also, yeah, if in these workouts, if he's doing like they don't do like five on five scrimmaging in these workouts, I don't think with these guys at this tier, like you said, it's like three on three. Yeah. It's like a lot of walkthrough stuff or it's like just even just like doing drills with coaches against air. Well, imagine he probably sticks out more like, cause like you said, he just uses his power and athleticism to kind of eat garbage buckets and and get offensive boards. And well, think about what you were talking about, what we were talking about with like the NBA changing to wanting a lot of like processing and quick processing and quick decision makers and making the ball move. Think about it, like Anthony Black is the guy kind of rising here at the last second. From what I hear, like he could go at six. And then Hendricks and Whitmore seem to be the guys like over the past few days that most seem like they could be there at 10. And I feel like they're the two guys who are the least intuitive basketball players. Like they have the least feel. Whereas almost everybody in the top six or seven are like true playmakers. I mean, even Brandon Miller's like a, a decent passer. So I just kind of start to wonder if that's somewhere the NBA is going. And if that's also the way, you know, drafting would follow suit. It's like if you don't have a really good sense of how to make plays for others, it might be like a real ding. You know what I mean? Yeah, that make, yeah I'm starting – that makes a lot of sense because you look at the guys that are getting – that are rising, like the Thompson Twins, Black, even Jarris, Kobe Bufkin. Yeah, Jarris and Hendricks were neck and neck, but now it's like there's – it seems like they're pretty there's pretty clearly a gap, and it's like Walker is sort of a – He's like Aaron Gordon-ish. Like he has that connected passing, intelligent, yeah. cutting aspect to his game. Yeah, for sure. And that makes that's starting to make a lot of sense. And the cool thing, I mean, I don't know. The thing about the Mavericks that I think, like, I mean, if I were the agent, if I were one of these guys, I would be like blowing up my agent's phone to be like, how can I like, okay, I might be able to get drafted eighth. Can I get drafted 10th? Because 10th, like yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm thinking about how all these guys, because 
this is a conversation I had. I can't remember who I had it with. I had it with someone the other day. And I was like, we talk about these guys so much. I feel like we don't talk about where they go enough. And I feel like where they go is almost as important as who they are. And like you look at someone, you look at Dallas's situation, even if Kyrie doesn't resign, which he probably is, like Luca, he just makes things so much easier. And you look at what he's done with guys with like Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, you know, I love you guys, love Reggie Bullock. Like their skill level is not even close to what some of these guys in the top nine, top 10 are in terms of like where they were, like where Dorian was as an eight, like as a 19 year old compared to where Cam Whitmore is. Like, it's just, it's not even close. And yeah. you saw what Luca was able to turn those guys into because he can make the game really easy for right. him because of how good Luke he is processing the game and, and, and controlling the game. And like, part of me is like, like would Anthony, like Anthony black, he goes to the wizards and like, it doesn't work out because Beal's not there and he, he's forced into a lead guard role. And maybe he's not ready for that. And people are like, ah, oh, well he was a bust, but it's like, but what if he went to Dallas and he doesn't have to do that? And he kind of like, I just think about how these guys, if they could come to Dallas and some of their weaknesses don't necessarily apply because it's like, okay, Whitmore, he maybe doesn't process the game as well. Maybe doesn't make his teammates better as a passer. You know, he doesn't need to do that right away yeah. in Dallas. Neither does Taylor Hendricks. Like they just need to shoot, score, rebound, and play defense. And it's like, part of me is like, man, I would be calling because like these guys will get paid. Their second contracts, they will get absolutely paid if they're right. playing next to Luca for four years. Well, it starts to be a. It starts to be like a chicken or the egg kind of thing or a double-edged sword where it's like, is it better to go to Washington, put up – like Anthony Black could have eight rebounds and eight assists a game, let's say, on Washington, and the team's terrible. And his next contract, people are like, oh, that's not replicable. It wouldn't actually help winning. And it's like, are you going to get paid more doing that or are you going to get paid more having lower stats on a team in the semifinals? Or the – or the, I mean, the yeah, the Western semis or whatever. So I have thought about it because I've seen people be like, why would Anthony Black ever want to go to Dallas? He – he would be this off ball guy and he wouldn't get to like run offense, but there's other people that are like, I don't think he will ever be good enough to right. be running offense. So it's how good of a wing can he be? And so it's kind of like a, I've, I've been thinking more and more of that of like, which side is right. Cause I feel like some people think of it more as like what gives the player the most volume. And the other one is like, what, what makes the player be part of winning the most and how would that translate to his earnings? You know what I mean? Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And all I can go off of is just looking at the guys Luke has gotten paid. And it's right. everyone. Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, um, Dwight Powell's still here getting NBA money. Like, <laughs> And I like Dwight Powell. Like, I'm not even trying to make that much of a dig on him. But like every guy that's been here, like their next contract after playing with Luca is more than you would like. Dorian Finney-Smith isn't getting the contract he has now if he – wasn't playing next to like I love Dorian, but like and his yeah. his story. But if he was doing what he was doing in Brooklyn for four years, he would not be getting the contract he has right now. So well, a good one for Hendricks is like think about if Jabari Smith was on the maps. Yeah. Like I feel like he would everybody would be like, oh, this is what we thought he'd be. He just nails right. threes. You know what I mean? And right. And now everyone's calling like, oh, is he was he is he a bust after yeah. like one year playing in the most dysfunctional organization in the NBA in terms of like having an NBA product. So yeah. That's also why like trading the pick drives me nuts because I feel like the Mavericks have a cheat code with Luca where guys that are picked in the top 10 are usually going to bad rosters, bad situations. Yeah, it's true. Not a lot of rookies get to play with someone like Luca. Like it just doesn't happen. Like, well, maybe rookies, but like, you know, like Josh Green rookies. I'm talking about like guys with top 10 talent do not get to play with guys like Luca or Kyrie. Like even Kyrie, Kyrie makes his teammates better. I saw. You know, Kyrie moves the ball as well. Like, I, for all that I don't like about Kyrie, I don't want to get into it, but, like, on the floor, like, he basically did exactly everything he wanted him to as a secondary uh, offensive guard. So, like, I'm just imagining, like, man, like, Taylor Hendricks could go to Washington and be like, like you said, like, he could be the next Jabari Smith or he could come to Dallas and maybe he doesn't have the volume, but he could be shooting, like, 37% from three and averaging, like, 15 and eight. And being on a team that, you know, goes the second round, like you said, I'm just like, I don't want them to trade down. Like I want, like, I'm tired of them picking from the Island of Misfit Toys. I want yeah. top, like there's just a part of my brain. That's like, give me a top 10 talent 
to put next to Luca, like, and let him supercharge that guy even more than than they already is. So the way you're putting it makes me be like, because I was like, no, it can be okay if they trade. And now that when you put it that way, of like, we haven't had like true blue chip talent on yes. this freaking team yes. with Luca. Like, can we just get? Yes. That's why the Aiton thing, which we I know we won't have time to go into, but that's why you know it's like the price. He's flaky. He's this. He's that. It's like I don't know. He's the most talented freaking guy. You know what I mean? It's just it's available. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And again, like I, I'll, we we've got an hour. We need to get out of here. But like I, I've softened my stance a little bit because at first I thought the only way you can get Aiton was trading ten, and I'm just like no, please no. Um, but if they can get him without trading ten, and, and then you're you're setting yourself up for quite an off season. But that's conversation for another time, probably. Let's get out of here, Logan. Thank you All again right, for thanks. coming on. Yeah, this has been great. Um, like again, the draft. I just I can't watch all these guys. I don't have time. I don't watch college basketball. Did you watch Leonard Miller? Him. Have you seen him? I've. I mean, YouTube highlights, but <laughs> like all these he's, guys, YouTube highlights. Look he's awesome. the funkiest player ever. Yes, he is. His jumper is weird. Um, it's very weird. It's very weird. <laughs> it's I don't like know. A, it's like a push shot. I don't know how to describe it, but. I also didn't know he was left-handed, so when he when he first shot his first jumper, I was kind of like, "What is what? this?" Yeah, I don't know if that made it look weirder than it is, but um, I'll, you've sold me on him. If they take him in the twenties for the trade down, I'll be I'll be uh, cheerleader right next to right next to you. <laughs> so Logan, again, thanks for for joining, um, guys. We're we're running up on it. Uh, the draft is June twenty second this Thursday. Uh, I don't know if we're gonna. I mean, we're gonna do. We're gonna. There's gonna be a lot of posts on Mazzonibo.com. We're going to have reaction podcasts. I don't know if we're going to do what we did with the lottery and like do a live show while the picks are happening. I just don't think my brain can do that while I'm trying to get <laughs> posts and stuff on the site, but we will definitely be here live uh, with a, with a live recording of our podcasts uh, breaking down whatever it is they do. Cause we're finally going to get something. Something's going to happen. They're going to, they're going to draft a player. They're going to trade it. All the speculation goes away uh, Thursday evening. We'll finally have some, some real meaty news uh, and analysis to get to dive into so again logan thanks again we will talk to you guys again sometime thursday night listen to pod maverick this is josh bow also editor over at masmoneyball.com we'll talk to you guys later whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.